You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Whatever else it may be, the Federal Reserve is not boring. Indeed, by the standards of almost all other central banks, it is hyperactive. The shock 0.75 percentage point reduction in the Federal Fund's rate of interest last week, particularly followed by the widely expected 0.5 percentage points on Wednesday, is a dramatic example. The Fed is the exemplar of an activist central bank, but US fiscal authorities are not far behind either as the $150 billion, just over 1% of gross domestic product, fiscal package now going through Congress demonstrates. So what are the U.S. monetary and fiscal authorities trying to do? Will it work? What are the risks? Should others follow suit? The urgency of these questions was made clear at the annual meetings of the World Economic Forum in Davos last week. The consensus was gloomy. Comfortingly, The Davos consensus is usually wrong. The Fed is certainly trying to prove it so this time. The answer to the first question is apply risk management. That approach is associated with Alan Greenspan, the former Fed chairman, but it is also central to the thinking of the Fed under Ben Bernanke, if not even more so. Fed Governor Frederick Mishkin, who is intellectually close to Mr. Bernanke, has articulated the underlying theory in a fascinating recent speech. In essence, Mr. Mishkin argues that the combination of non-linearities in the economy with uncertainty and a high probability of extreme outcomes, so-called fat tails in the jargon, justifies the Fed's focus on extreme risks. This is the precautionary principle applied to monetary policy. At times of high uncertainty, he argues, policy should be timely, decisive and flexible. The Fed's response to the stock market swoon last Monday demonstrated those qualities. Even the notoriously slow, indecisive and inflexible US policymakers are now trying to follow. Will these actions work? We need to decide what working would mean. The obvious definition is the Fed's own, namely elimination of any risk of a collapse into Japanese-style deflation. Alternatively, one might take the bipartisan political objectives, a rapid return to robust growth, as the definition of success. The answer to the question about whether the actions will work is that they will if pursued with sufficient ruthlessness. Those who seek the parallels between the U.S. predicament of high domestic debt, declining asset prices, and a crisis-hit financial sector, and that of Japan in the 1990s, might doubt this. But despite the disturbing parallels, Japan's initial predicament was worse. Its assets were far more overvalued, and its companies more indebted. Japan's response was also much longer delayed. Provided inflation does not become a huge concern, monetary and fiscal expansion will reflect the U.S. economy. If the worst comes to the worst, a central bank can always finance the fiscal deficit, almost without limit. True, pessimists argue that the combination of declining asset prices, particularly house prices, with household over-indebtedness and a fragile banking system means that monetary policy is 
in the celebrated words of John Maynard Keynes, like pushing on a string. It may not be quite that bad, but on its own monetary policy will not act swiftly unless employed on a dramatic scale. So the case for some fiscal action looks strong. Yet, even in current US circumstances, monetary loosening should have some expansionary effects. It will encourage refinancing of home mortgages. It will weaken the exchange rate, thereby improving net exports. It will, above all, strengthen the health of banking institutions by giving them cheap government loans. This brings us to the biggest question. What are the risks? Unfortunately, they are large. One is indefinite continuation of an excessively low rate of U.S. national saving. Others are a loss of confidence in the U.S. currency and much higher inflation. Yet another risk is a further round of the very asset bubbles and credit expansion that created the present crisis. After all, the financial fragility used to justify current Fed actions is, in large part, the direct result of past Fed efforts at the risk management Mr. Mishkin extols. Moreover, these risks are not just domestic. If the U.S. authorities succeed in reigniting domestic demand, this is likely to reverse the decline in the current account deficit. It will surely reduce the pressure on other countries to change the exchange rate, fiscal, monetary and structural policies that have forced the U.S. to absorb most of the rest of the world's huge surplus savings. The U.S. does seem to be getting away with its gamble, at least so far. One indicator is the decline in long-term interest rates and the steadiness of inflation expectations, as shown by the gap between conventional and inflation-proof Treasury bonds. Another is recent steadiness of the dollar. Finally, there has been no upsurge in core inflation, though the same cannot be said of the headline variety. It is conceivable, then, that the emerging Washington policy consensus offers precisely the right macroeconomic response to the present crisis. But it is risky. Moreover, if the International Monetary Fund's modest downgrading of growth prospects is correct, the action could even prove overdone. Above all, it would be far better if demand were expanded in the rest of the world, as Dominic Strauss-Kahn, managing director of the IMF, argues. This would facilitate the adjustment in the massive external imbalances that, as I argued last week on the comment page of January the 22nd, lie at the root of U.S. credit growth, debt accumulation and consequent financial fragility. I find it impossible to look at what the U.S. is now trying to do without feeling severely torn. If it succeeds, it will renew and, at worst, exacerbate the fragility, both domestic and international, that triggered the turmoil. If it fails, the U.S. and perhaps much of the rest of the world could suffer a prolonged period of economic weakness. This is hardly a pleasant choice. But that it is indeed the choice shows how weakened the world economy, and particularly the financial system, has become. The immediate priority ought to be adoption of policies across the world that allow a big fall in the U.S. current account deficit without prolonged weakening of global economic activity. With this, the world economy can exit from the crisis in better health. Without it, further crises are sure to come. The U.S. cannot make this choice. It rests in the hands of others. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, 
please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.